The following is a production of Natural Bliss Podcast for a better quality of life. Hi. My name is Joyce Wheeler, and this is It's Your Life. Today is Wednesday, November 28th, 2018. Today I'm here with Heidi Feather. Heidi's passion for herbs was sparked at an early age. She was educated about the flora and fauna of southern New Hampshire by both of her grandmothers. Her quest for herbal knowledge led her to a working apprentice at Wise Way Herbals. There she was introduced to native peoples, indigenous wisdom, of the herbs and their connection to the land through sacred ceremonies. She went on to earn a certification in therapeutic herbalism through Blazing Star Herbal School and also studied with renowned herbalist Susan Weed. Heidi feels it is her mission to help bring herbal knowledge into the world. She continues to be a student of the herbs. She says that the herbs have taught her many lessons and they have plenty more to share. The earth is populated by plants that could bring us into wellness. It is a wondrous gift from earth, yet with that gift comes responsibility, being responsible stewards. Heidi is here to teach and share. Herbs are not meant to be exploited for profit. They are here to be used on a personal and spiritual level from one being to another. Heidi is also quite accomplished in the arts, both creative and astroteric. She is a level two Reiki practitioner intuitive tarot reader, artist, wool spinner, all-around fiber artist, and plant dyer of wool. Plus, she is also apt at sewing and is becoming well-known for her tarot altar quilts, which she custom makes by hand. Today, Heidi and I will be discussing the history of herbs and also other aspects of herbs. So, Heidi, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's nice to have you here with all of your knowledge. So let's talk about the history of the herbs. What is an herb? What is an herb? An herb is and has the context has changed over the centuries, but today an herb is recognized as a plant that some part of is used, such as the roots, the stems, the leaves, flowers, fruits, or even as food, medicine flavoring or scent so the herbs uh that's what we consider an herb today and so how far back in history have herbs been used it seems like in all probability that humans have been using herbs since the beginning um there was evidence found in a shanda cave which i believe was in france and the evidence was found in a neanderthal that they found there they were able to take dental samples from the teeth and they recognized the herbs yarrow and chamomile, which to everyone should be quite familiar. Um, Now, yarrow and chamomile would not have been used primarily as a food source. Yarrow is quite pungent and stringent, so it's not something you would wanna eat just for, um, you know, for food. So that is quite interesting. It's well known that animals um, will self-medicate themselves with herbs. You know, often we have seen, many people have seen like their dogs going out to eat some grass or something that might resemble what we think is grass. 
um, when they have a sour stomach and they need to upchuck, so to speak. In many different species, it has been well documented that they will seek out certain plants for healing. That's real interesting because I'm kind of wondering about that because cats are really prone to eating grass. Yes. So I'm just wondering if that aids with their digestive system or even helps them to get those hairballs up. I would think that it would help definitely with hairballs, especially longer hair cats are very prone to hairballs more, you know, as well as short hair cats too, but long hair cats definitely. But, you know, and the reason I'm thinking about it, and I remember remembering times when my cats have put out a hairball, and I, I'm thinking, wow, I remember seeing bits of grass in there. Yep. So maybe kind of, maybe kind of like a fibrous thing, you know, aid with getting that out of there. Yeah. So as far as humans go, we, if we've been using herbs since the Neanderthals, what has happened? Why, why do you think we've gotten away from this? What we call civilization. I mean... At one time, even Caucasian people lived very closely to the earth, and that was the people's medicine. It was something I think we all shared. We lived in the seasons, and we had a knowledge. Everybody had a knowledge of the earth. Um, My grandmother's was something that was passed down to them to remember the plants because it was really important in um, rural living to know your plants because they could help supplement your diet and especially mushrooms and things like that. So I believe once at one time it was innate. We just knew either from observing the animals and what they ate, you know, that we just knew we would know. No, I think it was lost knowledge. It's definitely lost knowledge. We have lost that connection with the planet. We were, with the earth, with our ecosystems, you know, and we have created our own and that has led to the detriment of our health and the ecosystem. Right, exactly. And, you know, it's something too, because talking about the herbs and how long they have been used and also the way our society thinks today, I'm going to bring religion into this a little bit because a lot of them think like it's witchcraft. And I think that goes back to the Salem uh, witch burnings, where the, uh, the witches, I mean, from what I've seen in documentaries I've seen, so it's hearsay, but is it possible because they were using herbs in a way that they maybe weren't used to seeing them, that these people were, were, people were considered witches? And I know that it was a whole, uh, you know, witch hunt type thing in the, a lot of the witches, so-called witches that they were calling witches had nothing to do with herbalism. But in some of the documentaries I've seen, they were herbalists. And I'm not wondering if maybe these people came from another country and integrated with these people. And because this was foreign to to them, it was considered witchcraft. Actually, it goes farther back than the witch trials. It goes back several centuries. We have to look at the beginning of pharmaceutical or so-called medicine you have to go back to what was called the burning times in europe and it Mm -hmm. happened out throughout europe was people people in the 
rural communities who used herbs for their, as part of their daily lives, were prosecuted and hung, hung down and murdered. And they were told they were witches. And it was all a part of getting control so that people wouldn't have access to their own healing. And there was also mania involved in it too. Just, you know, really, um, they think in Salem, there could have been an ergot fungus, which caused hallucinations. Mm. So this made the people somewhat disoriented. Yeah, crazy, so to speak. You know, they weren't rooted in reality because of that. It got into the grain source, which is where it grows. So yeah, it actually goes way back to to Europe. It really started in Europe. It just, that frenzies would kind of carried over when the people uh, found that the colonies here. I can, I can see that. I can see how they would have done it, the higher ups, would have done that to gain control over the people by, you know, saying that this is witchcraft. And it's something how it has stuck today. If you're into herbs and you're doing things with herbs, making tinctures or using them as a poultice, they see it as witchcraft because according to our society, we are supposed to go to a doctor and we are supposed to take a pharmaceutical drug. So let's talk about how much better using herbs for a better quality of life is versus using Western medicine. What's your take on that? Well, this, this Susan Weeds talks about the six steps of healing and six steps. Well, well, usually the first one is do nothing. Wait and see whatever condition it is if, if it will pass on its own. And then the second one is to gather information. I may not have these in order, but it's like to gather information. So get all the information you can on what's going on with you and, and then accordingly. And then the third, third or fourth step would be once you had the information, then you could take that to the next step of using herbal medicine. And then from there, if that doesn't solve the problem, then you go the last, basically there's more steps in between, but the, basically the last step is would be using modern medicine but you 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 take into a lot of consideration and you explore other avenues before you go to that resort so there are uses in modern medicine definitely if you're in a car accident and you have broken bones they're very good for, at putting you back together that is something that is good at and dr dr andrew well, well used to has several books on explaining, you know, what modern medicine is good at and where they're very lacking. And my my belief is they're really lacking at healing. Um, oh, definitely, definitely, it's it's a band aid. It's a yes, it's a placebo band aid effect, mm -hmm. and most of their so cured, so called help causes more problems than it's than what they are trying to you know, especially with the use of pharmaceuticals. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that for, for just a second. What types of issues do people encounter when using pharmaceutical drugs versus using an herb? The two main pharmaceuticals prescribed are antibiotic and painkillers. And what antibiotics do is they, they strip your intestinal flora. 
So they actually can make you sicker in the long run. You go in for a common cold and they will prescribe an antibiotic. And that's not going to really help you. The cold needs to run its course. And sometimes your body is just getting rid of stuff that is built up. And people try to treat that with antibiotics. And that's not helpful. The second one is painkillers. Um, painkillers help when you're in acute pain, but you kind of need to know that you're in pain so you don't do any more damage. Mm-hmm. So what it's really doing is covering up the symptoms and then people become addicted. Mm-hmm. And actually, and I think right now in our society, more people are addicted to pharmaceutical drugs than they are to street drugs. This is true. This is true. This is fairly true. The opioid epidemic, mm-hmm. most of that is is prescribed and then people go looking for more, you know, and then they get addicted, they're prescribed, legally prescribed, and then they end up going for more. It has happened to people close to me. Yeah, my, my daughter knows of numerous people that they're not addicted to street drugs, they're totally yep. addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. I yeah, think maybe I, I think maybe that's a ploy too. Let's get them all addicted. Yep. They make more money. Exactly. That's the bottom line. And I do know something about the pharmaceutical industry because my father was a pharmacist. Mm, I didn't know that. So I, you know, that it's been over 20 years he's passed and it's been over 20 years since he's practiced, but it was really disturbing to him at the time, the way things were drastically changing. He do often you, mentioned it. Do you remember anything that he mentioned about how the pharmaceutical industry was changing? But mainly the antibiotics and the doses that were exp- the the um, dosing. So was it was going higher? It was oh, definitely it was tripling, and, and this was twenty wow. years ago. So you can imagine now because of the overuse, the, the, it's really a chronic overuse of antibiotics. It says, oh, definitely, it has been found in our waterways. And our mm-hmm. drinking water is is given to animals. So it's in the food. So it's in the food. It's it's just what I like to say. It was antibiotics were a blessing, but it's also become a curse because they have been so overused. Well, yeah, and you know that goes back to what you were talking about about the gut flora, also known as the gut microbiome. That's eighty yep. percent. That's eighty percent of our immune system. There's yep. good bacteria and there's bad bacteria. And not only is the antibiotic, antibiotic killing off the bad bacteria, but also the good bacteria too. Yeah. So, so as you said, by doing this, then we're more susceptible. Not only that, but you t- one dose of antibiotic, one round of antibiotics, you're looking at two years to recover the gut microbiome. Yep. yep. So uh, let's talk about the, 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 the herbs. So do you, I I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody who's addicted to herbs. Well, maybe the herbalist. Maybe there are people who are addicted to herbs. Well, but- you know, if it's okay, we could touch on that a little bit, please. Because and we, I know what you mean. We're talking about marijuana, and no, no, actually, I was talking stinging nettles. What came in my head? I know a lot of herbalists who they have their infused stinging nettle that they drink throughout the day because of all the nutrients and vitamins and minerals that it contains. So that's what I was thinking about. Oh, I thought we were talking about marijuana. (laughs) No, but we can talk about marijuana. I personally see nothing wrong with marijuana. Well, in its natural state, and that's what I was going to, my point was that natural unaltered marijuana is a very healing plant and it can be used for 
you know, many, many problems. Eyesight mm-hmm. um, to uh, cancer, cancer treatment, recovery. It's really a wonderful herb, but unfortunately, it has been hybridized, standardized, and just totally messed up so that the, the marijuana that's out there today does not resemble the wild native plant of, uh, I believe it's high mountains of um, the Himalayas where it originated. And it's, it's, some of it's quite so high, pardon the pun, in <laughs> THC that it doesn't even resemble the plant that it was originally, which is, I think is tragic. Yeah, it's, it is. But it, it's just like the overuse, like with the antibiotics, it's doing more harm than the gift that that was another a very well gift from Mother Earth or Gaia, you know, that has been exploited and mm-hmm. overused and not used in the right purposes. So what are, if we're talking about marijuana, then I'd, I'd kind of like to discuss tobacco. Because a lot of the tobacco industry, the cigarettes contain arsenic. Um, they also contain, uh, what is that, that they, fiberglass. Uh, a lot of these additives and preservatives that they're putting into them are not good for you. Now, the indigenous people used tobacco. Can you speak on that? Yes. Uh, as much, that's the same thing. It's been hybridized and the chemical composition has been changed. So that the native tobacco does not resemble the tobacco that's grown today at all. Well, it would resemble it, but I mean, the chemical makeup would be totally different. Totally different. You know, they, they increase the nicotine to make it more addictive. Not a, and, and then like all the additives that they put into it. You know, somebody said once it's the equivalent of smoking a toilet bowl cleaner. You know, it's Ew. really toxic i heard that quote from somewhere where i can't remember but yeah it was a very sacred to the the native americans in north and south america it's uh was an indigenous plant to this continent and that's another example of misuse overuse and changing the basically plant changing the plant into something for for profit for profit right. it's all about when it really comes down to it, it's all about profit. Do you have any idea what the indigenous people used tobacco for? It's, it's as an offering, as a okay. sacred offering to the spirits. When they um, when they harvested a plant, they would leave a little tobacco behind as a gift to that plant, and of course, they would not over harvest that plant. So, and that that goes into could also speak about the over. Um, the indigenous population of sage is at high risk yes. because everybody is burning sage now around the world. Mm-hmm. So the indigenous California sage plant is on the is endangered, right? Because you know I, I believe some of it is grown, but also the wild stuff is being harvested for profit because people can make money off of it. Mm-hmm. So that is in danger of becoming extinct. Um, you know, it'd be who people to look in their own backyards for for the similar plants or other plants that are overpopulated that could benefit in the same way. You know, and that's the thing too. We're just so ignorant as to what's in our backyard. 
And when when I started studying herbs, I did, never looked at plants the same again. It was always like, what is that for? What is that? And you know, now I look at people and treat, treating their lawn for weeds, and you know, that's another uh, source of antibiotic that we're exposed to is in Roundup that a lot of people use for killing their weeds. The glyphosate, the main ingredient Roundup, is actually a patented antibiotic. And it's known for getting rid of the good bacteria that's that's in the gut. So that's another exposure that we have to deal with. Maybe you not so much so because you're more in a rural environment. Do you see that in your area? Well, unfortunately, the modern farming practices mm-hmm. in my immediate area, I don't see people. I don't see that that news. But I unfortunately, in the farming practices, I live in farmland and they have been i don't know if they still are but they some of the crops they grow are genetically modified Mm -hmm. there's a grass that they grow that is genetically modified and it can kill animals unless it is fully mature if they eat it i was really disturbed to find that was being grown in my valley yeah, it is disturbing. It's very disturbing because how it just doesn't make sense. Why would you want to use a product like that? Well, like because it's, again, it's all about making money. Yeah. You know, and if we're sick, then the pharmaceutical industry makes more money. The doctors make more money. The insurance companies make more money, you know. And yep. I think I think that's why it's important that people learn about herbs and for me and my family, it's not just, okay, what do we use because we have this problem? It's let's look at preventing it. So like I'm, I make elderberry elixir, which is great for the immune system. And that's another thing that I see a lot of is people using elderberry elixir or elderberry syrup when they're getting sick. We take it every day. Not a lot, just enough, you know, just a little bit every day. Okay, so Heidi, let's just go back to the what we were talking about with the white sage, which which is being over harvested and it now is on the endangered plant list. Yes, and I I want to bring up a few other plants. Anything that has wood or is wood based, think of a tree. Think of how long it takes to grow a tree. So I want to add that to that anything like sandalwood, cedar, anything is wood. Think about that. Unless you are harvesting from your own personal source, you know, anything like that can be over harvested very quickly. And one of the big ones that's really in favor right now is Palo Santo. Mm-hmm. And that is from wood. And I have heard conflicting reports about that. And people burn that like sage. Right. That- what, what have you heard about the Palo Santo? I'm curious because my research... It showed that it actually that the tree has to be dead for them to get that wood. So, well, this is what the research I have found too, and it says, well, they have all these regulations in the place, and they can't cut down the trees. And then I found other information where that doesn't happen, and they are cutting the trees down, so they're not collecting the dead wood. They're cu- purposely cutting the trees down to let it age, because that's what it really has to do. Is it has to age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. To bring up the essential oils, I believe, in the plant. The many other plants that are on the endangered list. But what in west eastern United States, 
mugwort is an invasive. It can be used very much like sage. In fact, some have turned it eastern sage, and mm -hmm. this may well be what the eastern natives used as a purification, as a cleansing, like people use regular sage today. So that's mugwort, which is Artemisia vulgaris. Um, I, I love the plant and it grow and it grows on our roadsides all over the place. I don't think it's something that grows in the deep south. That's something you know, you would know. But I do know most of eastern United States is quite prevalent and overabundant in a lot of areas. So it's easy to to harvest without much difficulty. Because you don't want to get it right on the roadside. You right. want to back back up you know, several feet because you don't want to get the toxicity from all the, the you know, Susan Wee recommends eight feet back. I recommend even if it's eight feet down, if it's down in the gully, all that water is going to drain off. So you may not, you know, you want to maybe want to harvest on an upslope. So where does mugwort grow? Where is it found? It's found all over the east in the United States and it, it grows a lot along the roadways. Okay, you were mentioning going up a slope, so it grows near water? It grows, it, it, for some reason, it loves the roadside, so it probably loves the eastern United States, we, we use salt, so it probably likes the salt, acidic, I would assume, soil, a salty soil, because along the roadways would be salty. That makes but, sense. You know, so it, like, it likes a, a general environment, it likes bright sunlight, and it likes you know, acidic soil, I would say, you know, and it, 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 it grows several feet tall. It's really uh, quite a remarkable plant in many so, ways. Is it on the endangered list? No, it's on the, it's on the invasive list. Ah, okay. There's an invasive list and a lot of the invasive species are very medical. Right. Now, is that a weed? Yeah. Well, yes. Well, like plantain, plantains weed. So I was just wondering if mugwort was also well, a weed. That's a discussion too. What is a weed and what is an herb? Ah, but so weeds well, are herbs. Weeds are are herbs. That that's uh, a weed is just. Well, somebody said a weed is just in the wrong place. So in other words, like you know, if you, it's just not where you want it to be. You know. Well, most people. <laughs> most people like. Yes, like I put, I transplant St. John's wort into my garden, so. <laughs> I mean, I think you and I are pretty much like just looking at our lawn and seeing a weed and going, oh, what is that? How can I use that? <laughs> I know I do when I see things growing in my yard, but the, the downside with where I live is that they spray for the mosquitoes because uh, here in Louisiana, yeah. Here in Louisiana, where we're located, there's swamps and water, and the mosquitoes get, get bad. So we have a truck that comes by and sprays. And then I recently found out that there's an airplane that goes over that also sprays. Oh, no. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, and I do have comfrey growing, but I hesitate to use it because of that. Not only that, but the chemtrails. And lately, they the chemtrails here have been really heavy. So I hesitate to take that and use that i don't know all right so at one point you had mentioned when we we're talking about i think it was the palo santo about the oils in the the wood having to mature 
So from uh, from that aspect, let's let's talk about the essential oils. A lot of people have the misconception that essential oils are herbs, and a lot of a lot of essential oils are made from herbs. But the problem, but essentially, what an essential oil is is a chemical component. It's the aromatic component of herbs. So it is not the whole herb. So and it's made through a distillation process. And the thing with making oils is it takes copious amounts of plant material to make a drop of essential oil. To make rose essential oil, it takes from 30 up to 60, depending on the content in the rose, to make one drop, one drop. Of, that's a lot of roses. That's a lot of roses. So you got to think about all this growth. Um, all these, all these plants have to be grown and processed. Then you have the other plants, your aromatic lavender. All these have to be grown. All the um, lemon balm is one that takes a copious amount of plant material. Also, in fact, if somebody's really interested they can look into a book, Essential Oil Maker's Handbook, Extracting, Distilling, Enjoying Plant Essences. And that is the author, uh, it's translated, let's put it that way, because I don't want to mess up the names, but it's translated, it was written in German, and it was translated by Paul Lamont into English. But that goes into detail about how many, how much plant you product that you need to make essential oils. But it takes it takes more than you would ever use in cooking to make an essential oil. There's essential oil of oregano, um, which is highly, you know, the multi. And again, we talked about profit before. There's a lot of multi-level companies out there that are really pushing the essential oils and pushing people to take them internally. And this is a big problem because number one, like I said, essential oils are not herbs. They are a chemical component of an herb, just like the herb foxglove that they make digitalis out of, which was has now been synthesized, but digitalis is a heart medication. Just like with essential oils, you do not want to take them internally. There are unless you are qualified and you know what you are doing. Should never or be taking you're, them. Or you're going to somebody who's qualified and telling you, and that, that doesn't mean somebody from a multi-level marketing person is qualified to tell you you can adjust them because they are just being a parrot for their company and telling you. Exactly. I, I just want to share that I was listening to um, David Crow. And he's a holistic practitioner. He's in Ayurveda and essential oils. And he has said that he has seen many of his patients come in who have ingested essential oils. Their esophagus is tore up and the mucous membrane in their stomach is also tore up. That would not surprise me in the least because they're a chemical component. Right. And once you start breaking apart the chemical components of an herb, you are making a pharmaceutical. And this, to me, is very dangerous for herbalism. What I wanted to touch on was in other countries, Germany and Europe and many countries, you cannot have herbs unless you have a prescription. Hmm. And that 
could well happen here with all it takes is one person getting sick for the FDI to freak out and say when it's an herb that it's the herb that we got to, you know, we got to regulate this. That's all it's going to take. In Germany, you're not even supposed to make preparations at, at home, in your own home, from your own plant. That's ridiculous. And we, as herbalists, do not want to see this happen. And this is one of the problems with these multi-level marketing companies. That their their goal is profit. It's not health. It's profit. It's not it's not wellness. It's profit. Right. And they, this is a dangerous roulette game that's going to come back, and it will probably land on the herbal community because because they are associated with herbs and. They are not herbs. They are made from herbs, but they are not herbs. Just like some of the over-counter herbs that they sell now. I have heard stories that some of them don't even contain what they say they contain. I'm talking about, you know, the big corporations that process these herbs. And then they're not processed in the right manner. Herbs, there have been protocols for years and years, for millennia, to use the right part of the herb herb at the right time. The right time, roots need to be harvested in the spring, is the optimal time before they start to bud out, before they start to come up, or in the late fall. Flowers are obviously meant to be when they're in flower. Leaves sometimes before the plant flowers or after the plant flowers. So it all depends. You need to know this. And these big corporations, they don't care. Mm-hmm. The bottom line's profit. So they're going to go out and harvest anytime they feel like it. And you're not going to get the optimal result that you would get if it has been done correctly. There's plenty of small, one-stop, one-shot people that were... and qualified herbalists that sell herbal products at reasonable prices that you can be assured that have been teaching not only are they selling their herbal preparations but they've been teaching herbalism for years so you know you're going to get quality product from them and i think that's the thing that people need to realize too is that when it comes to herbal products or anything that's natural that's from the earth you don't want to go to Walgreens or CVS or Walmart. I was just talking to somebody else the other day, goes to Walmart to get her essential oils. And I didn't say anything, but it was like, okay, if that's what you want to do. But like Heidi said, you want to find an herbalist. We are blessed to have an herbalist in a nearby town who works at a, a health store. So, he, you know, he's my go-to guy. So, you know, that's what you want to do. Go to like a regular health store, not Walgreens, not Walmart. That's not a health store. Find a health store that actually has knowledgeable people working there who know about the products that they're selling and about the ingredients that are in them. That that can be very helpful, but there's plenty of herbalists out there that will be more than willing to put you in the right direction. Right. You know, the, most of us paid for our schooling. You know, we went to knowledgeable people to gain our certificates. So look for somebody that has actually done the work and continues to educate themselves. And I think when it comes to herbs, I think that's a, a totally ongoing process. Yeah, you never stop learning. Once you once you become an herbalist, you, there's just so many plants out there that you can't really stop learning. It's a continual learning. There's And there's new discoveries every day where science has backed it up, has backed up the, the that herbs work, you know. Mm. But in the tradition that I have been educated in we use the whole herb we do not break apart its constituent when we make a tincture we use the whole 
herb or the part of the herb that we're supposed to use and we harvest at the right time or we we know of the companies to get the plant material that are reputable and have been around for right. for years and they have good quality organic and ethically wild harvested right because the the wild harvesting can be an issue it mm. depends on the person you know is it a profit place for profit or the person that's making medicine for healing and to help people. Well, like you were talking about, about where to harvest the herbs and plants and how far away from a road you would want to be. If somebody were just doing this to for financial gain, they wouldn't care where they were taking oh, no. the, the no. herbs from. They would, t- would take them from the roadside so you're not getting a good quality so you're right about that. And I often see that I'll see wild harvest. And I don't mind if the herbs I purchase are wild harvest. But it just does go through my head, you know, is the person harvesting these doing, like you said, harvesting them in a correct manner? Or are they just not caring because they just see dollar signs? Right. And it's a big difference because ethical wild harvesting is perfectly fine. But mm-hmm. as long as, you know, if it's really about profit and paying attention to the plant spirit, we are mm-hmm. all, everything is energy. We are all energy. Right. And plants have an energy also. And that's what the shamans of other indigenous traditions knew. And that's how they worked with them. And there is a good book um, called Plant Spirit Medicine that goes into detail about that by Elliot Cohen. He's kind of have brought plant spirit medicine into the modern world for our us herbalists. Um, so that's and that's what I learned from the indigenous people that I spent time with. That you honor that you honor those medicine. You honor the plant mm. spirit so it will continue to grow. Exactly. You know, I've heard horror stories of in this day and age of of indigenous people going out to harvest where they've been harvesting for years for hundred, you know, old root systems that have been there for years and going to find them totally wiped out. Mm-mm-mm. Because a profit, someone working for a profit, whether it was multi-level or corporate or whatever, for profit harvested everything and the whole root system was gone. Well, that's just like that's just like they did with the buffalo too. Yeah, you know, for profit, just slaughtered them all, took their hides, and just left everything else there. You know, it's uh, American ginseng is uh, in high demand. That is, isn't that also on the endangered species list? I believe it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I I actually watched a documentary about that where people were going and they were going out into the woods and harvesting yeah. it. And that's what they do. They take it all. They don't leave any behind. That, that's unethical wild har- harvesting. Yeah, totally. We, we spoke earlier about the tobacco and leaving tobacco. Even herbalists I know will leave something behind, whether it's tobacco, a piece of their hair, something as a gift to the plant spirit. You know, it's a, it's a taken, it's a connection. It's a being to being connection that we can cultivate anywhere, even in the city. It doesn't matter where you live. It still can be cultivated. There are vacant lot where there's, there's a book called a city herbal that goes into how you can find herbs in the middle of the city. They will grow anywhere. They're tenacious. Mm -hmm. They don't give up a lot of them. Right. It's just a, a matter of gaining knowledge instead of just looking at something and going, oh, it's a weed and, you know, it's making my grass look ugly, so let's get rid of it. Growing up in Chicago, we had a lot of dandelions 
And yep. it was always it was always get rid of the dandelions, get rid of them. We don't want the sun and grass. And yeah. I remember I remember as a kid taking a bucket of water and putting dandelions in it and in rocks. So I guess maybe this was something that was in me that I knew as a child and didn't discover until later on. Right. But, but now here in Louisiana, I can't even find dandelions. Uh, they grow everywhere here. Not here. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I was told that to look like in open fields, like in January or February, one of those two months. Of course, our right our, te- our temperatures are different. So right, you don't have much of a winter. They say they grow everywhere, and they are one of our most val- valuable medicines and wellness mm-hmm. herbs. Um, it it makes me sick to see those Roundup commercials in the spring. I really feel sick to my, you know, it's just it's sickening to, for a profit, perfection, whatever the stupid thing is that humans are tricked into doing, right. following. And they just, they don't go out. Our society is so prone to listening to what the media has to tell them and what doctors have to tell them, what politicians have to tell them that they don't go and research anything on their own. They don't look into anything. And some some of them who do, they don't look outside of the spectrum as far as looking at government websites or college websites like Harvard, whatnot. They just look within that realm to the places where they have been taught are accredited, which necess- not necessarily are accredited. Right, right. So Heidi, if people want to get in touch with you, they would... Uh, interact with you where can they go they can find me i have a youtube channel they can find it's called wild feather that is w i l d f e a t h a Um, they can find me on facebook and that's heidi wild feather uh, spelled out properly um i have a blog spot that is the wild feather w i l d f e a t h a a that has a lot of my information on that the blogspot.com um i'm not on facebook that often so i may not get back to you right away a facebook me do not get along <laughs> i'm also on instagram occasionally and that is wild feather also w-i-l-d-f-e-a-t-h-a and i should have a patreon um, page coming up soon and what is Patreon? Patreon is where you um, support artists or whatever, different types of mediums um, with donations from from a dollar to $25 to $50 a month so that in you get content from them. So I will be going into doing podcasts on herbalism. We'll start with the very basic and that will be available at some point in the future on my Patreon, which is Wiles Color Cauldron. Is there anything else that you want to leave our audience with? Just start looking around you. What's growing? See if you can identify it. Take time to really notice what is growing in your environment and come to my Patreon. We will let you know when that is up on my YouTube page. I do videos. And I will let you know when that is up and running. And I also have a video that is a meditation on, look through my playlist, that is an herbal, to find your herbal ally. It's a meditation to find your herbal ally. So 
I have some few things on herbs and herbal dyeing also on my video channel. So I want to leave you with that and many blessings. Thank you, Heidi, for joining us today. You've been listening to It's Your Life. I've been your host, Joyce Wheeler. Thank you for listening and have a great day. This has been a production of Natural Bliss Podcast for a better quality of life.